Greetings, everyone. Welcome to The Last Great Day, 2022. And what a great day this will be in its fulfillment. The greatest thing that God is going to do. And yet, it is the least spoken of, of all the holy days of God, and is only mentioned twice. So let's read that. Let's come to Leviticus 23, 34. Okay. Now, it ties in with the Feast of Tabernacles because it follows immediately after the seventh day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Verse 34. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles seven days to the Lord. We did that. And it was a good feast. I hope every one of you had a great feast. And it's really something to know and understand that we will be living with God, and we will see later in this last great day that that will be in New Jerusalem. Think about that. Okay? First day shall be holy convocation. You shall do no silver work. Seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day shall be a holy convocation to the Lord. Okay, there it is right there. One sentence. And you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly, and you shall do no servile work therein. Then he gives a summary of all the feast. And isn't it something? What the world rejects, God uses those very things to carry out his plan. Sabbath, Passover, unleavened bread, Pentecost, trumpets, atonement, tabernacles, and now the last great day. Well, the world looks at these and says, well, you don't have to do them. Those are ritual days. Well, that's not a very good excuse to get rid of them because there are rituals on every day at the temple, right? All right, now let's continue on. Verse 38, besides the Sabbaths of the Lord and besides your gift and besides all your vows and besides all your free will offerings, which you give to the Lord, also in the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep a feast to the Lord seven days. On the first day, there shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. Okay? Then it tells what they were to do in building their temporary dwellings. Well, as we know today, everything on earth is temporary. Okay? Now then, what we will do, since it is this last great day, we'll take up an offering, and we will use this to serve the people of God, to preach the gospel, to get books and booklets written and produced, 
and everything to serve God. Because in the Christian biblical church of God, we do not take things to serve ourselves, but to serve the brethren and whoever would listen. Now, our two websites, truthofgod.org. Now, we've been revamping it, and I don't know if it's ready yet, because we want to make it so it's easier to understand, easier to use, and likewise with Church at Home. Now, Church at Home is really a great and wonderful place, not only for new people, but for every one of us, because we cover topics there that are strictly biblical. See? And so everything that we do is focused on that and focused on the kingdom of God and focused on preparing for the return of Christ. So with that said, we'll take a pause and we will take up an offering. Now let's begin and see why the last great day is the great day that God is going to bring in the greatest harvest of all. Now let's see what Jesus said. Let's come back here to John, the seventh chapter. And here is where Jesus kept the Feast of Tabernacles. And let's read what he said here, right at the end of it. And this is right at the end of the day seven and the beginning of day eight. Verse 37. And in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and called out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now stop and think about that statement. If anyone, there's no qualification of time, is thirsty, let him come to him and drink. Now, of course, this is spiritual. But think about that. The majority of people from Adam and Eve all the way down through to the beginning of the millennium, very few are the first fruits in the first resurrection. And the harvest during the millennium is going to be spectacular. But what about everybody else? See, because it could be said, God is a respecter of persons because all of those other people in the past, he's just wiping away. They're dead and gone and their memory has disappeared and God cares nothing about them. And actually down through history, people can look at the history and see all the wars, all the killings, all the famines. And how about the flood of Noah and and everything down through the history of mankind until the coming of Jesus Christ. 
how many people lived and died. Yet, they didn't have this opportunity in verse 37. Okay. Now let's read on again. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Okay. And the next verse says this is because of the Holy Spirit. Well, what about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit was not given to any except a few of the prophets, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs, and a few of the kings. That's it. Until Christ came. Then when Christ came, day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out. Okay. Now then, but God did not call the world. And even from the time that the church started, the vast majority of people have lived and died without true knowledge of God. Now, during that time, there was some knowledge of God, but Satan moved right in and spread around false Christianity, and the true church was taken to the mountains of the Alps and preserved for 1260 years until it was time to get the Bible printed. How about all those people? What about their lives? Because it says if anyone, but they never had an opportunity. So the last great day is the day that answers that. Okay? It's going to be quite a thing indeed. But let's see what Jesus even told the disciples. Come here to Mark, the fourth chapter. And this is parallel with Matthew 13. See? Let's read it. Mark 4 and verse 10. Now, this is quite a statement. Now, the Protestants ought to read this because they think that Jesus is trying to save as many as he can now and as so-called Pastor Jeffries of the Dallas Church says, if you're not in the Baptist Church, you're going to die in hell and then burn forever. Really? All right. Let's see what Jesus said. Verse 10. Now when he was alone, those who were around him with the twelve asked him about the parable, and he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. The mystery of the kingdom of heaven is the plan of God. Okay. Now here in Mark, it's the kingdom of God. Okay. But to those who are without, all things are done in parables. Spoken in a language they can hear, but not understand. And see, but not perceive. It's what it says. So that in seeing, 
they may see and not perceive. And in hearing, they may hear and not understanding, lest they should be converted. Huh. What does that tell you about Jesus trying to convert all the people that he can now? No, there are the first fruits, the few. And the few are those who love God and keep his commandments, who have repented and received the Holy Spirit. But to the rest of the world, it hasn't been given. Well, what is God going to do with the rest of the world? That's why the last great day. We will see it's going to be fantastic indeed. Okay? Notice. And not understand, lest they should be converted, and their sins should be forgiven them. That's quite a statement. Okay? So let's see how this works. All right? Let's continue on. Let's understand that throughout the Bible, God has given a bit of understanding here and there and other places about his plan. But the structure on which all the scriptures pertaining to the plan of God are fitted is the structure of the holy days, Passover and the holy days. So let's come to Isaiah 14. Okay? Because some people would say, well, does God have a purpose indeed? Huh? What do you think about God having a purpose? If he doesn't want to save them, what is he going to do? Were their lives were just in vain? All right. Let's come to Isaiah 14, and let's look at verse 24. Okay. Isaiah 14 and verse 24. Here's what God says. And the only way we're going to know it is by repentance, baptism, receiving the Holy Spirit, and loving God and keeping his commandments and knowing his word. See? Otherwise, people would never know. Verse 24. The Lord of hosts has sworn. Now the word of God is true and whatever he says is true and will take place. Surely as I have thought. Well, how did God think? We know that he planned and created Adam and Eve. And from there comes all of mankind. But what was he thinking of? What was his plan? Why did he start that? Why did Lucifer rebel when the angels found out that they would be beneath the human beings that God was creating in his own image? Okay. Surely as I have thought, now notice, so it shall come to pass. It's going to take place. So if God says in John Seven, then anyone who believes in me can be converted, receive the Holy Spirit. 
Well, what if they died before Christ ever came? And that's the majority of all people, isn't that true? Yes, indeed. 4,000 years. Okay. But he says, so shall it come to pass. And, continuing, as I have proposed, so shall it stand. Then he gives the example of the Assyrian. And he says, I will break the Assyrian in my land and upon my mountains and trample him underfoot. Did he do that in the days of Hezekiah? What a fantastic thing he did. Remember what it was? The armies of the Assyrians were coming to attack Judea and then take Jerusalem and take all of the all of the riches and everything and carry the people off into captivity. But Hezekiah went before God, prayed deeply, and the answer was from God, I will take care of it. And what did he do? That night, now you talk about the power of God and what he says he will do, what he thinks and proposes, it will come to pass. So he said right here that I will break Assyria in my land. And he did. That night, after Hezekiah's prayer, the army of 120,000 all died in their sleep. Now the king and generals, they got up because he didn't kill them because he wanted them to see his judgment against them. When they woke up, it was quiet. How come we can't hear anything? So they pulled back and opened the, the tent and look out. And there they see all the soldiers dead. So you see, that's a good example of what God says he will do. It will take place. Okay? And he said, and as I have proposed, it shall stand. Now let's come to Jeremiah 51. Let's see that again. That's very interesting indeed. All right? Because this tells us that God has a purpose. Okay? But he has to reveal it. And he has to open our minds to it because it's hidden in the word of God. Okay. Jeremiah 51, let's come to verse 29. All right. Verse 29. And the land shall tremble and, and writhe for every purpose of the Lord. Let me read that again. Every purpose of the Lord. Now think about that. 
Is anybody going to go against the purpose of God? Is anybody going to tell God what to do? No, 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 no. Shall be done against Babylon to make the land of Babylon a desolation without inhabitants. Okay? Now then, that did not happen for hundreds of years. It happened with the Medes, but they didn't destroy Babylon. And it went on and went on, and finally it was destroyed. Now let's look at another one, because God's purpose is what he, he is going to carry out. And we are here with the very purpose of God. Now let's look at the purpose that God has for us. Okay, let's come to Ephesians, the first chapter. Okay, because we're a part of this now. With God's spirit, with knowing the truth, with understanding the holy days and the Sabbath and all of those things. Okay, yes, and let's understand that God is directly through Christ through his spirit, intervening in our lives to bless us, to lead us, to guide us, and through his word to teach us and give us understanding and prepare us for the first resurrection. But the first resurrection is only in preparation for the millennium, right? And the millennium is only in preparation for the last great day, as we will see. It's kind of like the universe. You look at it right here, and here's the earth, and you see everything, think, oh, that's so something, you know. And then you look out, and you see all the stars. And then you look out on the Hubble telescope, and you think, oh, look at all of that out there. And along comes the James Webb telescope, and it goes out 13 billion light years, and there is still the universe and still stars and galaxies. Okay, but here we are, boom, little old us, okay? So let's pick it up here because this tells us a lot. Ephesians 1, let's begin in verse 3 because I want you to get the flow of what Paul is writing and I want you to understand how God is working in your life and the life of all of those who have his spirit and how important it is that we love God and keep his commandments and stay close to him through prayer and study and do the things that are pleasing to him because it is a great and wonderful purpose that he has called us to to be in the first resurrection. But that has to take place before the millennium and the millennium has to take place before the last great day and as we will see, the last great day will be the greatest day. Okay? Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly things with Christ. And that will be all fulfilled at the first resurrection. According as he has personally chosen us for himself, Okay. God determined that there would be the church, Christ would be the sacrifice, and that he would choose different ones. 
And all of this was determined before the foundation. Then the book of life was made, and our names will be written in the book of life. Ours are there now, waiting the resurrection, okay? Now, before the foundation of the world, in order that we might be, listen, this is what God wants for us, and this is what God wants for everyone else in whatever category that they're going to be in, okay? That we might be holy and blameless before him in love, having predestinated us in his plan that he conceived before the foundation of time. Having predestinated us for sonship to himself through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his own will. Remember what we just read. If he said it, it stands. If he said it, he will do it. Okay? To the praise and glory of his grace, wherein he has made his objects of his grace in the beloved Son. Now, what does that mean? That means, and brethren, the whole thing about the grace of God is this, that he has given us direct contact with him through prayer and study with his spirit in us. That's something. And the world doesn't know that. Okay. Verse 7, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the remission of sin, according to the riches of his grace. Our sins are forgiven, but as Jesus said, he spoke to them in parables, lest they would be converted and their sins forgiven. Their sins are not forgiven. Well, if God wants as many people as possible to enter into the kingdom of God, he's got to do something fantastic to make it happen, and he's going to, and that is contained in the meaning of this day. Okay. Which he has made to abound toward us in all wisdom and intelligence, having made known to us the mystery of his own will. Think about that. Now, the next time you're in a terrible trial, and we're going to see difficult and terrible times, never forget that according to his own pleasure and according to his own will, all right? We have relationship with him, okay? Which he proposed in himself. Now think about that. That's why the preaching of the gospel is the good news. Okay? Now notice that in a divine plan for the fulfilling of the times, and that's through the holy days, he might bring all things together in Christ, both the things in the heavens and the things on the earth. Okay? Now that's quite a thing. He's going to bring it together and bring peace and conversion and all of these things. It's going to be marvelous. Verse 11, yes, in him in whom we also have obtained 
and inheritance, having been predestinated according to his purpose. So there it is twice. His purpose. Who is working out things according to the counsel of his own will, that we might be the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Okay? Now that's quite a thing, isn't it, huh? So think about that. That's why we have the Spirit of God. Now the world doesn't have it. The world can't understand it. The world doesn't know what to do. They've got the Bible, but they can read it, but they don't know how to understand it because they don't know that it's here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept, okay, and to put it together. So there's no way that they can understand. Look at the fake Christianity that's in the world. Look at the other religions that's in the world. Look at the situation with Satan, the devil, and his demons, and what they have produced, and how the nations have been. Okay? So, right here in Isaiah 29, it shows us, okay? Okay? Isaiah 29 and verse 9. Be stunned and amazed, and we will. All the things that are going on right now, they're only going to intensify and get worse. And we've got to be ready. We have got to have something so we can survive for a while. But the time is going to come that they're going to be looking for our heads. They drink, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep, and has closed your eyes. He has covered the prophets and the rulers and the seers. And they don't know anything. Now you watch what some of these Protestants tell you. Listen, the Protestants are just another version of the Catholic Church. And you wait and see. When the Pope comes on the scene to bring miracles and the beast is on the scene the Protestants are going to flock to them because it will look like that there's going to be peace. And all of the revivals that they're working for now look like that they will be fulfilled when that takes place. But that will be a complete failure. Okay. Verse 11. And the vision of all has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. And the Bible is sealed. That's what they tell you. Which they give to one who is learned saying, please read this. And he says, I cannot for it's sealed. Yes, and you read some of these things, especially in the Old Testament. You can't make sense out of it unless you know the Sabbath and holy days. Okay. And the book was delivered to him who is not learned, saying, Please read this. And he says, I'm not learned. And the Lord said, Because this people draws near me with their mouth. And isn't that what the Protestants do? And yes, even the Catholic. And with their lips honor me, but they worship their worship of me is made up by the traditions of men learned by rote, so their fear toward me is taught 
by the commandments of men. Okay. That's what we have today. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do again a marvelous work among the people, even a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise ones shall perish, and the wisdom of their intelligent ones shall vanish. Okay? Now then, and what is that going to be? That's going to be the last great day, the greatest, greatest thing possible. All right? Now, let's come to Revelation 20, and let's see, just like in Leviticus 23, that the last great day is mentioned twice. Well, here in Revelation 20 is a phrase, just a phrase, okay, which tells the rest of the story. And without this one verse, there is no way you can understand the plan of God. There is no way you can understand the last great day. Revelation 20. Okay. Now we've covered some of these verses. So let's come here to just mention verse 4 talks about the first resurrection when Jesus returns. Okay. But notice verse 5. See, because it says, verse 4, we will live and reign with Christ a thousand years. Okay. Now then, what's going to happen when a thousand years are finished? Well, that's the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. That's why there's the last great day, because it comes after that. Let's look at it. Let's read this phrase right here. But the rest of the dead. Now, who are all the rest of the dead? Huh? Everybody that was not called in their physical lifetime from creation clear on down through to the beginning of the millennium. Okay? But the rest of the dead did not live again. So this tells us everyone who has lived and died will live again. But the rest of the dead do, did not live again until the thousand years were completed. Okay. So the first resurrection comes first. All the way through the millennium, there will be no resurrection. You're either going to enter into the kingdom of God, or you're going to go to Gog and Magog and be buried and die in your sins and be buried. Okay. Okay. Those three sentences. In the eighth day shall be a holy convocation. One verse. In the eighth day there shall be a holy convocation. Another verse. Okay. And then the third indication of it here is the rest of the dead. See, because only those who are Christ will be raised at his coming. Now then, 
What about all the rest of the dead with all the people? Okay. Well, let's take a break and let's come back and we will see an astounding thing because there are some scriptures which show us what's going to happen. But again, just a few. So let's take a break and we'll come back. Welcome back, brethren. Let's continue on in Revelation 20. And let's see how things come together and the great meaning of the last great day. There are two major meanings. Okay? So we'll see what they are. Okay? Now let's pick it up here. After the thousand years... And after the incorrigible wicked who are up in Gog and Magog come down after Satan is released, Satan and the demons, make war, defeated, Satan and the demons are cast into the lake of fire and then judged, and their final judgment will be the blackest darkness forever and ever, okay? Now, after that, that clears the way for the rest of the dead to be raised. Now, this includes everybody who has not committed the unpardonable sin. This will include those who have been aborted, those who die in war, the young, the old, the soldiers, everything like that. It's going to include everyone for them to have an opportunity for salvation that they didn't have in their first life. And the most important thing about that is this. Satan won't be there. Now think of this for a minute. Isn't it enough to live one physical life in the realm of Satan? Yes. And Satan is removed. And how many people have said, oh, we wish there wouldn't be a Satan. Well, the day is coming when there won't be a Satan. Now then it will get down and we will see the choices that everyone will make. So let's read it here. Verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and the one who was sitting on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. Okay. That means so many. How many billions and billions and billions will that be? But remember, the last part of the millennium is going to be devoted to preparing for this second resurrection. So there will be plenty of places. There will be plenty of food, plenty of clothing, everything necessary. 
Okay? And I saw the dead. All right? Who are they? The rest of the dead of verse 5 who were not in the first resurrection when Jesus returned. Okay? Small and great standing before God. And the books were open. All right? That means the books of God's word. Now, how much more of it will there be at this time than we have now? We do not know. But we're also going to have the whole history of the thousand years, correct? So these who are resurrected in the second resurrection will have the information that they had in their lives, plus the word of God, plus whatever else has been, well, God will add to it during the millennium. So they will have everything in great abundance. All right? Now the book was open which is the book of life. Now, this will be the book of life for those raised in the second resurrection. No names are written in that for eternal life. Now, their names are written in the book for the second resurrection. And the dead were judged out of the things written in the books according to their works. Now, they're going to have a whole new set of works. They'll have to repent of their sins. See, now here's another thing to remember. Remember the famous verse that everybody knows. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him may not perish, but may have everlasting life. Well, now, that will be open for these people as well, see. So when you read that John 3.16 again, remember, it includes everybody that is willing to repent. And the sea gave up the dead that were in them, and death and grave gave up the dead that were in them, and they were judged individually according to their works. All right? Now, let's see that Jesus prophesied of this in John, the fifth chapter. Now, we know in Hebrews 12 that it tells the spirits of just men made perfect, right? And they're at the altar of God, okay? And that's all of those who are in the first resurrection who have died, and their spirit returns to God, and it's there. Well, everyone who was not in the first resurrection, but who lived and died, they will be raised back to a physical life. Okay? Now then, so let's read it here. John, the fifth chapter, verse 24. Okay? Now, I want you to think about this great second resurrection and all the multitudes that there will be who will be saved at that time. 
Verse 24, John 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who hears my word and believes him who sent me. Now, they never had a chance to hear it. Now they will hear it, right? Okay. And believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and does not come into judgment, for he is passed from death to life. That's those in the first resurrection. Okay. Truly I say to you, the hour is coming when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear shall live. Okay. For even as the Father has life in himself, so also is he given to the Son to have life in himself, and has authority given to him to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not wonder at this, for the hour is coming in which all, all, circle that, who are in the graves shall hear his voice. Okay? First resurrection is obvious. Now let's read on. And shall come forth those who have practiced good to a resurrection of life, and those who have practiced evil to a resurrection of judgment. Okay? We have the first resurrection up here, verse 24. So verse 29 has to be the second resurrection after the thousand years for those who did well in their lives and did not commit the unpardonable sin. Okay? They will be raised. And then those, we will see, at the end of the hundred-year period, will be raised and cast into the lake of fire. Okay? Practice evil unto a resurrection of judgment. Now, let's come to Ezekiel 37. Now, as we're coming to Ezekiel 37, I want to mention what we covered yesterday with Isaiah 65 about an infant will live out 100 years, the sinner will be accursed at 100 years. The same thing will apply during the great white throne judgment. Everyone will have a hundred years. Okay? Now, let's read it here. Let's see what's going to happen. Okay? And we will see that as it happens to Israel, so will it happen to all the people of the world. Verse 1, Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was on me and brought me by the Spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of a valley, and it was full of bones. Now, if they're bones, that means that they lived once and died. And he made me walk among them all around, and behold, there were many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry, showing that they've been dead for a long, long time. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh, Lord, you know, you know, if you see a whole pile of bones out there and God says, can they live? Well, the answer is, God, you know. Okay. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these 
bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. Physical life. I will lay sin you upon you and will bring flesh upon you. Physical life. And cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Physical life. And you shall know that I am the Lord. All right? They didn't know before. And as Jesus said, they were cut off. Okay? So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And uh, as I watched, behold, the sinew and flesh came on them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Okay? And he said to me, Prophesy to the wind, prophesy, and son of man, and say to the wind, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. The rest of the dead lived not again till the thousand years were finished. Here it is. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceeding great army, like it says, the great white throne, and those who were raised, there was no place found for them. Okay, right here says the same thing. Now then, this identifies who they are. Okay? And he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Okay? Well, think about that going all the way back. These are the ones who were blinded and not be able to be converted during the time of Jesus ministry on the earth. But now they're raised for an opportunity for salvation, okay? Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost and we ourselves are completely cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and will bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves. Now, verse 14 is the key. And I will put my spirit in you. Conversion. And you shall live again, and I will place you in your own land. And you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and have done it, says the Lord. Okay? Now then, they have that 100 years. But let's come to Matthew, the 12th chapter, and let's see that it also applies to the Gentile nations as well. Okay? Because God is going to do a great work. That's why it's called the last great day. It's going to be the greatest period of salvation in the history of everything that God has done 
with mankind and in preparation for what he has after that. Now, Matthew 12, let's pick it up in verse 30. Okay? The one who is not with me is against me. That was during his ministry. And the one who does not gather with me scatters. Because of this I say to you, every sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven to men except the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That shall not be forgiven men. Why? Because it comes directly from God the Father, and they are rejecting God the Father. And therefore, when that happens, it is a deliberate, thought-out sin to reject God the Father. That can't be forgiven. That's the unpardonable sin. And those who commit that will go into the lake of fire. We'll see in just a little bit. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this age nor in the coming age. Okay, So there are two coming ages, the millennium and the 100-year period. Okay, The second resurrection. Okay. Either make the tree good and the fruit good, they'll have an opportunity to do that, to repent and be baptized and receive God's Spirit. Or make the tree corrupt and the fruit corrupt, for the, a tree is known by its fruit. Okay. So he tells them, You offspring of vipers, how are you able to speak good things being evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now then, he continues on in the judgment. See? Verse 35. The good man out of the good treasure of art brings out good things. The wicked man out of the wicked treasure brings out wicked things. But I say to you, every idle word that men may speak, they shall be held accountable in a day of judgment. Are you going to repent and get rid of it so you may have eternal life? Or are you going into the lake of fire? That's what it's talking about here, see? Okay. So, he goes on showing exactly what's going to happen and a time frame for it. Okay. So, Scribes and Pharisees wanted a sign. Jesus said, no sign will be given it. So he said here, verse 40, Just as Jonah was in the belly of the great whale for three days and three nights, in like manner the Son of Man shall be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh shall stand up in the judgment. That is, raised in the second resurrection with this generation. So it doesn't matter how many years apart that they are, they're all going to be raised at the same time. 
and shall condemn it because they reprinted at the proclamation of Jonah and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. And the queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation. See, simultaneously, that's the second resurrection. And shall condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Okay. So this shows that the second resurrection is going to happen to all people. Okay. Now then, the next phase is going to happen. Let's come back to Revelation 20. Okay. And this is the incorrigible wicked will be cast into the lake of fire. All right. Now, we know from 2 Peter, the third chapter, that Peter says, the heaven and the earth that we're on right now is all going to be consumed in a torrential fire. Okay? It will start out as the lake of fire to extinguish all of the uh, unrepentant sinners. Those who refuse to repent, refuse Jesus Christ, refuse God the Father, Refuse salvation. Okay? Verse 14. And death and a grave were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Okay? Which means in order to die twice, you must live twice, right? Now notice verse 15. And if anyone was not found written in the book of life, he was cast into the lake of fire. Okay? Now, they will all be burned up because the next phase of God's plan is put into motion. The earth is going to be consumed with this fire and destroy everything that was on it having to do with physical human beings. And then God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And we will see the holy city, Jerusalem. So this is going to be something. Notice how great that this is beginning in the next chapter Revelation 21, okay? And this is what everyone is longing and hoping for, eternal life, to live with God, where there is love and peace and joy. And at that time, then God will also begin to show us his plan for the rest of the universe. See, because people wonder, all that universe out there, what is God going to do with that? And it's beautiful, fantastic, awesome, and awe-inspiring. Okay? That's going to be the inheritance of Christ and the saints and 
those who enter into the kingdom of God. Now verse 1, chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Now we don't need any seed with no ocean because as spirit beings we do not need to have the temperature modulated like we do as human beings. And that's what the oceans were for and also for food. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice from heaven say, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Amazing. Men and women made perfect, of course. And he shall dwell with them. Now that's quite a statement, isn't it? We won't dwell with God. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Now notice how great this is going to be, because there's not going to be any more sorrow and pain and suffering and everything that we have in this life now. Okay? Verse 4, And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall not be any more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, Neither shall there be any more pain, because the former things have passed away. See, because the last day, last great day, took care of everything that needed to be done to heal all people who are willing to repent, to undo all the sin of war and murder and abortion and sickness and death. And in that second physical life to these people, that they will, would qualify to enter into the kingdom of God, which the greatest majority will. See? And they will be part of this as well. This is something, okay? And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. What is that going to be like? Well, we'll have to be there to see it. Then he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. It's going to happen. And he said to me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. To the one who thirsts, I will give freely of the fountain of the water of life. That goes right back to John 7 where we started, right? Yes, indeed. The one who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son and daughter, as we find out there in 2 Corinthians, the sixth chapter. But the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and fornicators and sorcerers and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So he labels that second death twice. Okay. So that's a summary of what's coming. 
Now, after that, John writes, And one of the seven angels that had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, and I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. Okay. Now, he shows New Jerusalem. That's not the bride. That's where the bride will live. Okay. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her radiance was like a most precious stone as crystal clear as jasper stone. And the city also had a great high wall and twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and inscribed on the gates were the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. So that goes on forever, isn't that something? Then it talks about the east gate and so forth. They all had it. All right. Verse 14. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and written on them were the names of the 12 apostles. Okay. Now that's something. And the one who was speaking with me had a golden measuring rod so that he might measure the city and its gates. And the city is four square. For its length is as long as its breadth. And he measured the city with the rod, 12,000 furlongs and the length of, and breadth and height of it are equal. Okay? Now that's approximately 1,500 miles. So it's Magnificent city. And he measured the wall, 144 cubits. The angels measures according to a man. And the structure of its wall was jasper. And the city was pure gold like pure glass. Now, can you imagine gold that you can see through? That's going to be spectacular. Listen, we have to be spirit being in order to really appreciate and enjoy this. And he's made it for us. And the foundation of the wall was adorned with every precious stone. And the first foundation was a jasper, the second was a sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardinox, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysopasis, the eleventh jasper, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates, respectively, was a single pearl. Now, I can't imagine what that's going to be like. Huh. And the street of the city was a pure gold as transparent as glass. And I saw no temple in it. See? Because God is dwelling there. Don't need a temple. 
Amazing. Four, Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And this city had no need of the sun nor of the moon. Doesn't say it won't be there, but it doesn't need it. That they should shine in it because the glory of God enlightens it and the light of it is the Lamb. And the nations that were saved. That is everybody else who's not in the first resurrection. There will be the nations. And the people are saved. Okay? And the nations that are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and their honor into it. Okay? What are we going to be? Kings and priests, right? And there's going to be the activity going. There will be tithes and offerings and things coming up to God, and that will be brought up to God. Okay? So I don't know how all that's going to work, but it's going to be something. Okay? And its gates shall never be shut by day, for there is no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Now, here's a warning. It's not going to happen. It isn't going to take place. And nothing that defiles shall ever enter into it because there will be nothing that will defile. Nor shall anyone who practices an abomination or devises a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So this means this is excluding these people at the beginning of it all. It won't be there. Just think of what that's going to be like. Think about what it is like today that we're living in the grips of Satan's world and look at all of the evil abominations that he is bringing upon people right here in America, other people in other nations. All right. Now, here's the finale of the whole Bible. Revelation 22. Interesting. In the Hebrew language, its alphabet has 22 letters. Okay? So let's read it. This is wonderful, and this will bring us to the conclusion of the last great day. Then he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, eternal life. Now, how that works, we don't know, but we'll find out. Flowing out from the throne of God and of the Lamb. There are two thrones there. And out comes this crystal clear water. And in the middle of the street, and on this side and on That side of the river was the tree of life producing 12 manner of fruit, each month yielding its fruit, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations or the maintenance or therapy of the nations. Okay? So how all of that's going to work? We don't know, but it has to do with the receiving of God's Holy Spirit, undoubtedly. And there shall be no more curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb 
shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And notice this next verse, small little verse, but what is that going to be like? Okay? And they shall see his face, and his name is in their foreheads. And I've thought about that a lot. What is it going to be like for every one of us that we can come to God the Father and look at him face to face and his name is written in our forehead and we tell the Father how much we love him and the Father tells us how much he loves us and Christ is right there with him and tells us the same thing and that's why we will be in New Jerusalem. And what a tremendous, fantastic thing that is going to be, to be right there with God, to see God, to talk with God, and God talk to us. We are his children. And the object of his whole purpose. Okay? Verse 5, and there shall be no night there, for they have no need of the lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God enlightens them, and they shall reign into the ages of eternity. That means have rulership forever. And he said, these words are faithful and true, meaning they're going to come to pass. It's going to be done. Because God said so. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things that must shortly come to pass. Now, here's the epilogue of the whole thing right here. The rest of it. Behold, I'm coming quickly. And in our lifetime, that's quickly. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Ha! Huh. Not done away, not eliminated. We keep the words of God. We keep the words of the prophecy it's in this book, not only in the book of Revelation, but the whole Bible. And now I, John, was the one who saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who was showing me these things. But he said to me, See that you do not do this, for I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And oh, what a thing that is going to be. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. And it's a whole lot nearer than when we first believed. But it's going to happen. Let the one who is unrighteous be unrighteous still. Let the one who is filthy be filthy still. Let the one who is righteous be righteous still, and let the one who is holy be holy still. So you stay faithful, you stay loyal, you stay loving, you stay obedient, you stay in serving God and keeping his commandments and doing what is right, because this is the future for us, you see. 
Verse 12, behold, I'm coming quickly. Now, when he says quickly, his timetable is different than ours when we say quickly. And my reward is with me to render to each one according to as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega. He's reminding us, going clear back to the beginning. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and the first and the last. Okay? And then he gives us something else to remember and hold on to, and why it's so important that we love God and keep his commandments. Blessed are those who keep his commandments, that they may have the right to eat of the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Whew, that's going to be something, brother. Now look at this. When we see this and understand this, there is no trial. There is nothing that can turn us back from God. See? So remember this. Because when we leave here, we're going to get back home and boom, right in the middle of the world again in our lives. And keep this in mind so you can be faithful. Okay? But excluded. Now this is a warning. Down through time, are dogs, sorcerers, fornicators, murderers, idolaters, and everyone who loves and devises a lie. Dogs are not the animals of dogs, but these are people who conduct their lives like dogs. I, Jesus, sent my angel to testify these things to you in the churches. I'm the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride says, Come! That's what we have to preach. We have to take the gospel out to the world and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who thirsts, come. That goes right back to John 7 where we started, right? And let the one who desires to partake of the water of life freely. Now then John adds in his ending right here. For I jointly testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. Okay? Now, this is not only the book of Revelation, but the whole Bible. And this ties right back in to Revelation, the first chapter. Okay? That if anyone adds to these things, God shall add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of this book of the of correction, and if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life and from the holy city and from the things that are written in this book. And here's John, almost a hundred years old. Now, we don't know how old and frail he, he must have been, but getting this prophecy and writing this down was the most important thing in his entire life. And all of the other apostles have died, and he alone gets this vision. And he knows that he's signing off, and he knows he's going to die, and he doesn't know how far into the future it would go. But here we are today, 
Yes, reading about it, okay? So he says, he who testifies these things says, surely I'm coming quickly, amen. Even so, John says, come, Lord Jesus, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. And that's the completion of the purpose of God.